Well, hello to our new listeners. Thanks for joining. And to our returning guests, welcome back. Welcome to Season 6 of the Morosible Podcast. My name is Mo. In this season, like you've been used to, get ready for more amazing stories, more inspirational stories to help you set your stories free. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes, as well as to build communities around important salient issues that affect all of us as humans. So on this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured here are by people whose journey I am partly inspired by, as well as challenged by, but most importantly, people whose courage and vulnerability have afforded us an opportunity to hear their life stories. And I hope you find them as inspiring. Now enjoy the show and don't forget to share this episode and the other ones. <laughs> Today, I'm super excited because I have a beautiful lady. She is really glowing, guys. And I cannot wait to share her story because you all listening to this, you might even be a part of um, a quest that we're going to be on to find her people for her. But before I let that out, let me do a quick introduction of who she is. She's an author, a speaker, a life coach, and a relationship solutionist. And she has one resounding message, which is you're enough. And that's it, period. Her motivation to empower others was first evidenced when she was just seven years of age. And that was when she taught her younger sister to not only read, but also play the piano. Since then, she has, you know, evolved into her own patented, guys, she has a patent on this, transformational methodology called the music math approach, which is centered around three critical factors, your voice, your value, and your vision. And she believes strongly that by amplifying these factors, she can help high achieving women and a few cool men too so men are not excluded from this narrative get clear about what makes them enough thereby ending the suffering that comes from your lack of knowledge that is not knowing everyone please join me in giving a resounding welcome to miss suzette randolph vienna to the podcast hello suzette hello mo <laughs> i am so tickled to talk to you today oh same here same here same here now so i think it's safe to kind of let, let the cat out of the bag i'm still going to ask you some foundational questions but first of all let's give a shout out to chulo of the africana woman podcast for making this connection happen so i got a message from chulo um this was probably three days ago saying hey mo um somebody reached out to her she's trying to find um, Nigerian um, women of certain tribes to connect to because they just did their DNA ancestry and they found out that they were 99%, you know, Nigerian. I'm like, Nigerian, I'm all for this. You know, anyone black, I don't care where you're from. I'm all for it, but Nigerian, because I'm Nigerian, that kind of like piqued my interest. I'm like, hey, I got two options. I could do a post on all of my social media pages and ask, you know, um, make their request public or or and or actually made it as a double offer i could have them come on the show and we can explore their story and help them find their community can you tell them you know these two options and let me know which one they opted in for and the rest as a sales history so success is here on the podcast today 
and we're just going to explore her life story. So she found out recently that she was 99% African, actually. And that came with, of course, feelings of joy and gratitude, right? And specifically, oh, yeah. a significant part of her DNA is being from the Esson and the Mende tribe. So let's just pause here a little bit. Let's just talk a little bit about, first, why did you do your DNA ancestry and why now? Why was it very important for you to get that done? Well, I had originally done it back in 2018. Mm. And then I think some things started happening where I got distracted and everything. And, you know, COVID happened. So many different things started happening in my family. So I wasn't able to really follow through with it the way I really intended to. Well, I don't know if it was a convergence of turning 63 <laughs> um you, you are 63 i'm 63 <laughs> okay i'm sorry to say this but not so sorry you are the epitome of black don't crack i mean look at you here are all the flowers thank you you look so good thank you so much okay i'm gonna thank add you. um to my question is what is the secret but please go ahead with your um, response. Sorry for the interruption. Wow. <laughs> no, but uh, my parents, my mother passed in uh, 2021. Sorry to hear about that. And she was, thank you. And she was my last parent because my father had passed years before. And I think it was a convergence of being parentless, being over 60. And then, of course, here in the United States, there's so much going on. It's like all Every the day. advances mm. and all the things that have happened that we thought were moving us as a country um, in the right direction of, of celebrating blackness and all that comes with it. It's, it's like everything has just gone to hell in the handbasket. Yep. And so many things are reverting back. Not that I ever thought that bigotry and racism were gone, uh, but at least they were hidden or subtle. It wasn't converts. in your face. Yep. And lately it has just been with all the, the brutality and the murders and the crimes against black people and, and the crimes against women. And so many things are just going on that there was something in me that needed something bigger than this uh, that needed to attach to a bigger definition than the ones that were being argued and debated. You know, my value is not up for debate, but in this country it is right. And so I think at that point, something inside of me was like light bulb. Uh, Wait a minute. Your ancestry didn't originate here. So I was seeking a broader and truer definition for me that I could hold on to in the midst of all this upheaval where my value and my validity and my significance are objectified and discussed as if I'm not a human being. And then I remembered, wait a minute. So I went back through my emails 
and scrolled all the way back down to 2018. Whoa. I don't anything. Whoa. Good on you for no, not deleting your emails. That's a that's a nod towards not deleting the emails in your inboxes. I scrolled all the way down and I was like, because I had forgotten uh, who had done the testing for me. I couldn't oh, remember the name. That's the street. I was putting all these keywords in trying to find it oh again. And goodness. I finally found it. CRI genetics. And wow. I went back and I pulled out the report. And I looked at the report and tears. Because it just does something for you to realize that you are not what people define you as. Mm, mm. My definition did not stop start with the United States. It did not start with slavery. It didn't start with Jim Crow. It didn't start with any of these things. Mm. And so I had to reach beyond that to where it did start. Mm. And it started on the continent of Africa. I just want to hold space um, for that because I'm feeling a bit... Thanks for thanks for saying that. That was beautifully articulated. Let me just start with that. And the second would be before you came to that moment, and even though those moments you described that pushed you to this point, they're not pleasant things. But there was an opportunity in that crisis, you know. So we can look at the good and bad side of things. I mean, racism and all those isms are bad things, but it pushed you to a point where you wanted to seek something beyond yourself, beyond other people's narratives. And that pushed you to find out where am I from? You know, where does my story originate from? I don't want to take on this narrative that was sold to me. There's got to be more to my life. And that pushed you back to the motherland. And I'm glad you had that moment. Many people might not be able to have that luxury of being able to see beyond what they're going through because perhaps they're in a very, in a place that is so suffocating right now. It's even hard to even mm-hmm. have that um, brain space to explore beyond their current situation. So I want to just give you kudos, you know, for doing that brain work because I am or shadow work. Cause I imagine it took a lot to get to that point. Um, prior to then, can you describe your experience as an African American and is that okay to call you that? Or would you rather me call you a black person or? Well, you know what? The black part was said loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Yes. You know, back in the day when we needed something and we needed our own definition yeah. in this country. Yeah. But I have to say that since I have really reconnected with my roots and started this journey yeah. African. to find out more about it, I think African-American fits perfectly. All right. Because I am both African and I am American. So that's perfect. I got you, sister. So African, as an African-American person. So there's this theory that, you know, I've seen floated about, about how not being connected to home. And by connected, I mean not even knowing where home is. Might, might have caused some form of entropy in the mind of an average Black or African-American person. And sometimes when confronted with an African person, the conflicts we see isn't a, a matter of just, I don't trust you, is that you have something that I don't have. What, what was that like for you? And is that something you, you believed in or you agree with necessarily? And a, a, a follow-up to that would be, how can Africans, you know, like me, who are in your country, I'm in your second country right now, how can we help facilitate that process where there's that cultural exchange and that, you know, easing you back into the continent and helping you feel comfortable back home. Oh, man. 
Well, I'll start with the latter part. Just this, the simple fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, that you're interested, that when Chulu approached you about it, you said yes. Of course. And that meant so much to me because I have a friend who uh, is from Yoruba. Yoruba. Yes, that's my tribe. Okay, fabulous. And uh, she lives um, in very close to here. Uh, I don't know if you know that much about Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. It's almost like these places Look, are so Carla, close yeah. together. We almost are yeah. turning into our own big city. Yeah. Well, she um, is someone that I talked to, uh, and I was asking her some different things because I knew that she knew a lot more about her heritage than I did. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she said to me, she said, well, Susan, she said, I know you're excited. She said, and I know you mean well and you're sincere. She said, but you may not be greeted with open arms by everybody because there are people who have exploited African people for their own gain Mm -hmm. and they don't know you. And a lot of times this has come from America. And so she said, just be respectful. She said, be very respectful, she said, and just be open. And and if it's for you to learn about it, you will. She said, but don't be hurt if you find it not as easy as you'd like it to be. Mm. And that's the part I was like, don't make me start crying. That's a good response right there. That's a good advice. And I think everybody can take that advice when exploring cultures that is different from yours and you're very much interested in. That's a very good advice. And so I divested myself of everything that I knew to be American. And I started doing more research about how do you show respect? And the first person I connected with was uh, Isan Mann, who saw me put a post in an African group Mm. where I was saying, you know, I am. I'm new on this journey. I just, you know, this is what my DNA is. of the, the trick of my DNA based on the tests I've taken. I would like to connect with people to learn more about, you know, where I came from. And he responded. And I think that was a true test because women, we kind of understand each other a little bit better. So yes. for me to be able to approach a man and for him to feel respected enough by me, for us to continue a conversation, I said, I'm on the right track. I'm showing the proper respect. Yes. So that was important to me to find out, out enough about uh, the culture, about the people, so that I would come with humility. Because I think sometimes we come across um, as Americans as being a little arrogant, like our way is the best way, mm-hmm. you know, and entitled. And I didn't want to come across that way at all because I, I don't know anything about what I am searching for. And I, I just wanted to make sure I did that. Now, back to your original question. Yes, thank you for that. Sorry to, say, sorry to say that over these 63 years, when I was younger, my first um, exposure to Africa and Africans was not favorable. Hmm. Uh, it was, we would get, uh, I don't know if you are old enough for this, but way back in the day, there was this magazine called National Geographic. Oh, I know them with the flies and the babies. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first time I was ever introduced 
to African or Africa, anything African. And as a little girl who was raised to, I don't, I don't think my parents ever told me I was less than, but I think it was, it was just almost in the, in the air that I breathed that there was something superior about people with white skin. Hmm. So when I saw on the National Geographic and somebody made a reference to, reference to Africa, I was like, oh, no, that's not me. Mm. That's not me. Mm. I didn't want to have anything to do with it mm. as a little girl. Mm. Even as a little girl, when it was uh, when I was faced between having a black doll and a white doll, I wanted the white doll. Mm. So that whole acculturation thing, it was just um, racism and everything, just just the brainwashing where when I look at pictures now, I see beauty. Back then I did not. Mm. And so I felt like I didn't have any connection, weren't my people. You might look like me, but you don't have anything to do with me. I don't have anything to do with you. And then as I got older, then you started getting all these stereotypical things. Stereotypical things like uh, African men uh, are are arrogant, are are um, belligerent, abrasive. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, abrasive. Uh, that the women walk around barefoot and pregnant. Just a lot of these these stereotypic things were just kind of fed in not not in um, blatant ways. But in subtle ways, Covert in ways. conversations, yeah. if somebody said they were dating dating an African, it'd be like, oh, no, girl, you know, he's not going to want you to have an opinion. You know, all these things, people would kind of do that. And so my my first introductions to Africa, I'm, I'm sad to say we're not favorable. Mm. But I'll be honest with you. I know a lot of people put kind of downplay the movie Black Panther or the follow-up Wakanda Forever. But for me, when I saw Black Panther, Marvel's Black Panther, Mm -hmm. and saw the beauty and the elegance and all the, how smart and inventive and all of that, something inside of me woke up and it gave me a broader context and I just sat there full of so much joy that someone dark skinned, that someone beautiful with my features, that, that people were everybody was saying, Oh, she's gorgeous. Nita mm. Nyongo, she's gorgeous. And there was a time she would not have been considered gorgeous. She just would not have been, not in this country. But to be able to see that and to to see how it was received and to see the follow-up uh, Wakanda Forever and to see Woman King starring Viola Davis, those kind of images, they, they weren't something that we that were celebrated in this country. It yeah. just wasn't. Yeah. And so that kind of thing, it just opened me up even more so. It opened my mind, it opened my spirit, and it just it created a hunger in me to embrace. Africa and to embrace my people. And so I feel like with 
the media does play a part. I know sometimes it can be very negative. It really can be very divisive. They can take, I can say, they can take a piece, yep. an appetizer, and make a meal, crumbs and make a meal out of a it. A whole cake and a half. Then up, yep. <laughs> right. But that and social media mm. have truly been very helpful in changing the way we Americans see Africa. And I hope this globalization is changing the way Africans see Americans mm. uh, and causing more of a dialogue, more of an honest conversation, more of an embracing. I hope that's what's happening. At least I can say it's happening for me. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think Black Panther for me, it's funny how we both, it's funny how you can see you can both see the same movies, but then have like different lessons from it. In addition to what you said, for me, it was very interesting to see the relationship between Killmonger and um, and T'Challa. Yeah, T'Challa. You know, because mm-hmm. I struggle with that. You know, and initial like you. Oh, and I should also say this: that thing you talked about, um, cultural humility, and how your introduction to Africans wasn't always positive. I should tell you that for most Africans, and I'm not speaking for everybody, that for, for me growing up, my impression about African-Americans were also positive as well. Because the common denominator was the things we were fed by the media. You got yours in print, I got mine on TV, on moving screen. You know, the black Af- African, the African-American man was always in jail, was always sagging his trousers, had different baby mamas, was always doing drugs. That was the impression I was fed. And in the movies, until... Um, what was Wesley Snipes' Blade? Whenever his movie came out, that was what started changing the narrative. Like, oh, you can have a black person be the, the main character and not be evil? Because until then, he was always a villain. He was always the the the, the, uh, the, the scorn of, of the earth. And so it was both ways. We're, we're, we're both being played both ways, you know? And we do know who those common denominators are. But I think you're right. With the, um, the bone of, of the internet... We're able to see more and you know explore our lives, and you know for opportunities like for for what you had with ancestry, your ancestry, you know, um, discovery, helping you, you know, connect that side of you. Because I think all of this should help us even get to know ourselves better. Because together we can make the continent better, not just you know infrastructurally. No, I mean that would be good, yes. But I think just our lived experiences, because we're in this together. You know, we're in this yes. together. We're in this together. As King Kong, um, you know, we, we have done in common. Let's, I would, I would love to be in a world where I see a black person and I see my brother, or I see my sister. And I don't think about like, is this person African or, you know, black American? Should I, you know, code switch or should I try to speak slowly so they don't look at me funny? Like none of that shouldn't matter because I see you and we are one, you know, we're together. That would be my world. That would be a world I would, I would imagine. So I don't think it's anything for you to apologize for about your exposure to um, Africans not being very positive. And I said all of that because we didn't have, I growing up, I didn't have a good exposure to you guys as well. And But now that I'm older, I know better. And I think also moving to the U.S. and realizing that for all this um, discrimination I face, either among institutions or you know among peers or even in the workspaces, it's because of my skin color for most of the time and also because of my gender. And I cannot take away myself from that narrative. I can't be less black. I have to own up to being black because that's the very thing they want to suppress about me, you know? And 
how about I learn how to even do it better from you? Because you guys have been exposed to this longer than we have. I'm failing you to the game. You know, how have you been able to rise above all these things? How have you been able to even make symphony out of all the noise drowning in you? This is the kind of relationship I would like for Africans to have with African Americans because together we can do so much more. We can, we can, yeah. we can quench the noise of the oppressors and rise above all of these, you know, isms together. That would be my goal. Yeah. And thank you for articulating That's that, Suzette. Thank you. That is mine as well. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, you were talking about the images and even living in this country, the images that we had on TV, black people were either slaves, mm. they were maids, they were pimps, they were prostitutes, or they were drug addicts. So all the roles, or or it was something like, or we were kind of um, the brunt of the joke, kind of like. Oh, you yeah. Had to be the imbecile. The, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, you had to be the jokester. You were you were entertaining, you know, and to grow up that way, so it was almost like a double whammy. You almost didn't want to be African, but you didn't want to be black either. Ugh. I remember I remember times where I would cry at night. God, I want to be white. I want to have mm. that long flowing hair. I I remember my mom. There was this product called Black and White. Oh yeah, the relaxers. It, it was it was a cream that you would rub on your knees, on your elbows. Oh. Some people would use it to try to bleach their skin oh. so they could be lighter because it was so difficult being a dark-skinned uh, American in this country. It was so difficult. It was considered ugly. We were considered nasty. We were considered unkept. And, and and as a little girl, I can even remember, even within our own culture, the sad thing about it, so much of the racism and so much had happened over the years that even black people had uh, bigotry within our own ranks. Oh, yeah, the colorism. Right? Yeah. Mm. Colorism thing. Yeah. And so I can remember my younger sister, when she was born, she was lighter. Mm. Now she's darker now. She's, she and I are about the same complexion. But when she was born, she was very light. Mm. And she had what we call "quote unquote" good hair, oh. meaning that kind of straight long, you know, and no woolly, kind of yeah, a, yeah, a little curly kind yeah. of. And I can remember even as a little girl before I even knew anything about what was going on in the world. Hmm. I can remember that feeling because we were only like one and a half years apart. So I can remember when my older sister would be carrying my baby sister, how everybody would say, oh, she's so pretty. And they wanted to hold her. Uh, and I'm standing there and nobody wanted to hold me. Uh, they would push right past uh, me. Nobody would even notice me. Uh, and I remember that from a little girl. And so I feel like part of the full circle of even going through this whole uh, ancestry, this pursuit of my, my roots has been a full circle because even from a little girl to as long as I can remember, I always felt like I did not fit where I was. Either I didn't fit in my family, I didn't fit in the larger society, I didn't fit in my church, I didn't fit anywhere. And so I was just trying to go along, to get along. But I always was looking for a, a sense of home, hmm. a sense of where I belonged and I could just be my full self and be accepted. 
And it took a long time. Talk about rising above all the negativity here in America. I think that whole, there was this thing inside of me that needed to find home. Hmm. And if I did not find it outside of me, I had to find it inside of me. Hmm. And I'm thankful for books like Love is a Choice, Mm -hmm. books like Finding Your Way Home, Mm -hmm. all those kind of books that were introspective, books even about self-help, psychology books that would have you to look inside of yourself for validation. I started just kind of feeding on those because I was dealing with dysfunction and dealing with codependency and dealing with all these different things, ills and symptoms that those books helped me to look within myself for answers instead of trying to find validation, a validation that I couldn't find. My parents loved me to the best of their ability, but even my parents' love seemed to be based on how well I performed. Perform, yeah. or oh, you don't embarrass them in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was it was searching for validation within me, going deep deep enough inside, uh, one of the first things that I had to give myself permission was to feel. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's like when one of the things that I was taught from a little girl, even, you know, what I was describing about not being preferred, being passed over, being dark skinned, Mm -hmm. my parents being very much into compliance and obedience was this kind of thing where I felt like I did not fit. And so one of the things that really helped me with, uh, with diving inside was expressing feelings. It was not okay to express feelings when I was young a young girl. I remember if I expressed emotions, if I got emotional, if I started crying, my mom gave me a whipping because she told me I was acting white. White people do that, she told me. White people. So I kept so much bottled up inside of me. The only thing that was celebrated was strength and accomplishment. And so because that was what I was socialized to do, to achieve, to achieve, to achieve, to earn. When you would ask me how I felt, I was so removed from it. Mm. I couldn't really tell you. Mm. I wasn't comfortable being angry. I wasn't comfortable being vulnerable. What was vulnerable? Vulnerable was weakness. Vulnerable got me whipping. So the last thing I wanted to be was vulnerable. Mm, mm. I had to feel my way, become comfortable comfortable enough with my feelings. Mm. I had to be vulnerable in expressing them. I guess that explains why why your life mission is what it is right now. You know, Mm -hmm. that you are enough. You are enough. Yeah, yeah. Your resounding message, you are enough. It makes sense where I came from right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and I there's something you said earlier on that I just want to um expand a little bit on. Perhaps the restlessness, um my cousins, my my cousins I call my, my cousins are those I refer to as African Americans. The restlessness they feel will probably come from just that need to seek your connection to the motherland that you haven't you know almost like maybe it hasn't come to your consciousness yet or you probably thought about it but you don't see the utility in it but as always because i want to imagine that if i didn't know where home was 
I don't think I'll be I'll be well I won't have I won't have that equilibrium. I don't know. Like I guess my question for you now will be how would you even though you're still finding your people, I mean it was 2018, but it wasn't until very much recently when you're able to like identify the exact group of people and you know make meaning of that email that was sitting in your inbox for the longest time. How would you compare even just this knowledge of knowing where home is, though you're yet yet to be there physically, the difference is made in your life. Would you say you're you're becoming more balanced as a person? What has it done for you? Um, gosh. I feel like I can breathe. Hmm. Uh, it's like, um, it's like you know how you see these movies where somebody goes up on a mountain yeah. and they stand with their head back and their arms out yeah. and the wind's blowing. Yeah, I feel like I'm standing in the sun Aww. and the wind is blowing, and I'm feeling like life. I'm feeling like I'm taking a deep breath in, and all those parched places. All those places that felt like they were um, calcified from just life and survival. It's like my wings are spreading out and my lungs are filling up and my hair follicles. I just feel like I'm alive. Hmm. I feel like I am alive and I know there's a lot more that I need to find out, but I know I'm going in the right direction because the more I connect with the more alive I feel, the more alive I feel, the more relevant I feel, the more significant I feel and the more purposeful I feel Hmm. because I knew the level of enoughness that I had attained on this side up to this point, but I am, I am experiencing another level of enoughness Mm. that I, that I was born enough. And when I say born, I'm talking about my DNA, when it, uh, where it originated from, I was born enough. And just because I've gone through some things, just because I've gone through assimilation, just because I've gone through acculturation, just because I've gone through all these things, even with my parents, it does not change who I am, though. Mm. Who I am and the brilliance and the majesty and the love that went into creating me. You know, there there are studies that are out and I, I... and I I don't know how, you know, the efficacy of it or all that, but there's there are studies that say that civilization started in Africa. Oh my God, it's so believable that civilization started in Africa. And I needed this mo because here in America, it's almost as if the consciousness of of that of our time here has been we to make black people feel like we started with slavery. Mm, but it's not that's the yeah. story here in the history books for a long time. The history books are different now. But when I was in school in the eighth grade, I'll never forget it. In the eighth grade, we were reading our history books of American history. The very first introduction 
to me as a black person in this country was slavery. And I remember that when we read about slavery, I felt shame for the first time in my life. That depth of shame. There was a shame I felt as a little girl. You know, sometimes uh, when your family, yeah, you know. Yeah, they, yeah. They, but it felt like defined and confirmed, yeah. like validated shame. Yeah. It's a different shame yeah, yeah. when you get this place that you've grown up in. Yeah. Then you read, you look in the history books. You're not in the history books all the way up till you get to the eighth grade. And by the time I had gotten to the eighth grade, I had already gone through desegregation. My, me and my younger sister were two of the first people in my city to go to what was previously an all white school. So for the fourth grade, fifth grade and sixth grade, I was the only black person, but I wasn't ashamed though. As a matter of fact, I was popular. Because I was like, I was okay. that kind of, it was during the era of black power. <laughs> so when the white kids would say different things or they say, does that come off? I'd be like, no, it doesn't. And I was so proud. I like feel it or my hair. It was like, you know, nobody, it wasn't any shame in it. I was like the popular girl. And when people would say things, I'd be like this as a little girl. It was like, honey, you know, I'll whoop your behind. No, you know, I was just this kind of. I was not ashamed of anything about me, even though I was the only black person. It was when I got in the eighth grade, Uh. I got introduced to slavery was when that shame, like a shame, like I had never experienced before. I was ashamed. The people that before I was looking them eyeball to eyeball, feeling just as important as them, actually extra special because I was the only one in class. You know, then I get introduced to slavery and I couldn't even look them in the eye anymore. And now instead of me being someone they admired, now it's, oh, you used to work for us. You know, it was just different. It was, oh, we used to own your people. Oh, you know, then the N-word. I didn't, I didn't get exposed to that until, until eight the eight. Yeah, yes, it was devastating. I was going through puberty and that degree of shame. It was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. Wow. So it has meant so much to me. It has meant so much to me. It even makes me feel even proud of our resilience and our ability to rise above even the slavery Mm. part of it. It's like, no, you come from a stock of resilience. You come from a stock of, 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 of people who, who have survived things and yet are still, we yet rise. We still remain and we are still able to love and to sing and to make great things happen. Great things. And even this thing where, you know, I know statistics say black marriages, you know, tend to not be as um, long. They don't last as long or that black women, you know, are not as desirable in marriages. You know, statistics say that kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is 
I'm beginning with even what I'm learning. It's even emboldening me as a coach and as a relationship solutionist to help black women, especially women over 40, to find to find their sense of value apart from what statistics say, apart from what where they're living, apart from any of that, by digging inside. Mm-hmm. And now I can help them to attach to the power of their roots, mm-hmm. to attach to something greater and, and more significant and more telling than anything they've been through. It's like, but the power of your people, you're still here. Don't you understand? You're still here. You're strong. You're mighty. You're resilient. You're beautiful. This country would not be what it is without you. The world would not be what it is. Can you imagine how boring it would be if black people were gone? So boring. I mean, science, entertainment, media, discoveries. I mean, come on. Even colorful things. We bring color to the world. We bring color and yes. rhythm and vibrancy and, and soul. passion. Yes. And soul. Yes. You yes. Said it right. yes. Yes. We all, so, all need each other, right? And, and thanks for that reminder that we need to begin to use that narrative. And I guess the reason for me asking that question about comparing and contrasting what your life was before now and then is I like to keep encouraging my cousins to keep finding about finding out about their identity. Now I'm not going to oversimplify this process. I imagine it took a lot of emotional bandwidth for you to get here. Like even trying to make that first step in coming out and being like, Hey, you know, I'm back. I'm lost. Who do I, you know, it's not quite as simple as we're making it seem, but it's worth giving it a try. And like, you know, um, Miss Suzette said, do it with humility. Do it with, you know, um, like you're being open and curious. Come with questions. And I'm sure you'll find the right set of people to help you. And even as um, your Nigerian friend told you, your bad friend told you about not many people might be receptive of you. I think it goes both ways, right? Um, but there's two opportunities to be able to find people who can create the kind of space that you need to nourish and, you know, um, make that aspect of your life really grow is what we're trying to say here. Now, yeah. I have some quick follow-up questions to you. Um, do you have children, by the way? I have one son. Okay. Do you have grandkids? <laughs> I do. I have grand twins, two little boys. Well, congratulations on your many blessings. Um, what has Thank the conversation you. been like for them? And I guess if you could... And then the second follow-up question, I love follow-up questions with you. I don't normally do that with guests because you're so, you're so, it's so easy talking to you would be, what would you like to come out of this? What would be your goal? Like one year from now on, what would like connection to your Esson and Mende people be like for you? What would you like to see happen by virtue of coming on the show? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I, I, what I'd like to see for, for those who listen to the show to see this, to see an African-American and an African, right? Having a dialogue, a conversation, and finding out we have more in common. Hallelujah. Yep, we do. We have more in common. 
that there's no entitlement. The pain is real, mm-hmm. regardless of where you are. Anything that threatens your sense of value and worth is very painful, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. And with our rich ancestry, but also with a global, the global fight for agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you even go to other cultures, they even have colorism. That the darker the the people with darker hues within their own cultures are not considered as beautiful or or worthy as their lighter counterparts. So this is a global issue, and it's a global pain. But together, we can change it. Mm. But it's got to start with us believing it. I believe. There's a fight that comes when you know who you are and you refuse to accept something less, right? But then there's another fight that comes when you're desperate for validation. True. And I think so many times we've been put in a position to fight for validation. But what I would love to happen is for us to go beyond that, Mm. for us to fight from a standpoint of knowing who we are. Not trying to convince anybody, but all we're saying is treat us fairly. You won't have to like us. You can say I'm ugly all day long. That's not going to change the fact that I'm the most beautiful thing that I see in the in the mirror every day that I get up. It doesn't fight. It doesn't change the fact that I was enough for out of all the millions of sperm that flooded my mom's body. Yes. Only one, only one was bold enough to own that egg and create me. And despite all the atrocities that I'm sure our mothers had to go through over the nine months, our lives were preserved. That was not a mistake. And that alone is enough to let you know that you are not just enough, you're more than enough. Uh-huh. So I hope globally, that's what I want. For my grandkids, yes. my son, what I hope will happen is that we will give them the tools to discover their own definition before the world gives them theirs. That before the public school Try to system, get to the eighth grade, <laughs> like like in your yeah, case, before, before, yes. Even 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 when they go to school, yes. it starts younger than that. It's insidious the 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 brainwashing that happens even when you don't even know that's what's going on. <sighs> those subtle looks, those subtle things that the 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 people is treating you different from this other person that maybe everybody was was playing together, but then somebody comes in and pulls their child away from you. All those different things that happen to our children and we're not there to protect them. I'm hoping that with these conversations, our kids will understand the richness of their heritage and be able to form a more true definition of who they are before this world gets to them and tries to give them theirs. Because if we don't know who we are, white America will really try to give us their definition and their definition is too small. I think you're so right. And so I'm I'm hoping we can create that kind of culture that our our kids know who they are before somebody messes with them. Yeah, it goes back to that saying of 
it takes a village to raise a child. It has to start from the home front. And with the knowledge you have right yes. now about your identity, and you know, imagine just how much life is gonna get better for your kids and your grandkids and their generation. So I'm very hopeful about the future. Perhaps you're gonna get to that point where those parallel lines of Africans and African Americans, they stop being parallel. We actually converge at the point of understanding of shared experiences of growing together because there's a missing story. There's a missing piece between both of us. And if we come together like a puzzle, the whole story will be complete. And we're stronger together. I truly, I concur. Because yeah. I feel like the pieces are coming together. Yes. They're starting to fit. I'm starting to understand that there's certain things in my DNA that originated from Africa that we here in America do, but the sad thing is we've been taught that there's something wrong. Yes. But then when you go to Africa, you realize, oh no, it means something completely different. And so I just, as you said, I think the pieces, we're just pieces trying to come together. And I just believe that with the internet and social media and and all of the things that are happening, it's, it's almost like there's this new renaissance where Africans and African-Americans and black people all over the world are trying to find out where they come from. They want to know their culture. They want to know their roots. They want to know all these things. And there's this awakening that's happening. And I don't believe anybody's going to be able to stop it. I just don't believe. I believe it's our time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They can't stop us now. I mean, it's almost like that cookie, cookie dough you've taken out of the jar. You can't put it back in, you know. And with the internet, and I still go go back to the internet because the the rapid rate of of, of like the proliferation of pro, proliferation of messages keeping keep going out, and just seeing shared experiences, it's hard to go back to the status quo because we're seeing more of ourselves. We're understanding that men, we are not your enemies. You know, we actually have so much more in common that separates us. How about we talked about this? And, uh, you know, this thing we agree on. And we can always explore our differences later. But there are more talking points that we have in common. And these are lived experiences. These are born in pains. And I think even for me, moving here has really humbled me a lot. Because I didn't know much about the slavery. And everything I knew was just condensed to, you know, um, Kunta Kunte and all those um, over-polished movie TV shows and boring plots. The lived experiences, I would never know. But I'm... I'm partaking in that, you know. I might not live in the Jim Crow era, and it's, it's now post, you know, Jim Crow era. But some things are still blowing back on me. And partnering with my, you know, allies with my cousins has really helped me understand how to function properly in the corporate world. Because man, things will come at you, and you're like, and being African, you have this pride. Because back home, we don't talk about being black. We talk about oh, um, this tribe. Well, we're proud, you know, set of people. Our identity is so strong. But when you come here, it's sometimes you feel a bit shaken because, of course, some things are also exposed. When you come here, usually you're seeking greener pastures. So you're weakened in some areas, but your identity remains strong until something happens to you. You're like, oh, my God, I'm black. Really? And then you go through the identity crisis. <laughs> but now I'm like, yes, I'm black. I'm, I'm super black. And I'm going to be in your face. <laughs> yeah, I'm black, black. Like, you know, black, black. Blackity, black, black. You know, you know, and that's what I am. You know, and I'm proud and I'm loud about it. And I want to, I want to keep using this platform as a way to explore 
you know, our lived experiences to make it a space for, you know, people of diverse cultures, wherever you want to seek home. I might not be part of that community, but I want to help. How can we amplify your voices? And that was the reason why I brought you on the podcast today. So this is a call to anyone listening to this. If you, perhaps you're from the Esau group. Now, um, the Esau group, they, they tend to be more in um, Nigeria, consecrated in Nigeria. I think the Edo, um, I think Yoruba tribe as well. And um, the Mende tribe are mostly concentrated in Syria alone. So you're actually very close. And I've been to, I'm from Nigeria, but I've, I've been to Syria alone as well. And so you're, you're, you're very close home. So if you're listening to this, if you're female particularly, because remember she has made contact with a male some person, but she'd like to let, get that female experience because there's so much more she'd like to explore as a female as well. If you're listening to this, you're either from the Esson or Mende group. And if perhaps you're even from both of those groups, we want you to um, contact, you know, Miss Suzette. We'd like for her to find her people. Maybe even find a way to go back home and visit home and take her family with her. You know, so this is what we're, what we're doing this. So if you listen to this episode or you even know somebody, perhaps you're not one of those you know, groups we mentioned, you know somebody who might know somebody, please, you know, reach out to me and I, I'll be more than happy to pass that information to Miss Suzette because this is what we're doing this for. This is, you know, this is why we have the podcast for connections, for cultural curiosity and to improve our processes as human beings because our culture really defines us right it's it's how we express our life and now that she's found a way to express her life even in a bigger way because she's accomplished so much and imagine somebody at 63 talking about just his excitement you can imagine it means so so it's never too late is what we're trying to say here perhaps you're listening to this you're still sitting on the fence about whether finding out where you are your identity this is just your sign if you're looking for one go get it done and find somebody to help you navigate that don't do it alone there should be a coming home party thrown for you. Find somebody to give you a name from that tribe you're from. Because naming you, I mean, Suzette, have you been given a name yet? Not we yet. have to find you a name. Unfortunately, I cannot do that because I'm going to leave it to my Esson people. But this is what I'm also going to encourage you to do. I, there's a, I'm going to send you um, uh, a link to Reddit, right? It's a Nigerian subreddit group, and we can post your request on it. Because I've had people, oh, I'm, if I, I'm going to send you a particular link of somebody who posted that they found their ancestry recently and they're trying to explore. You can read their post and create something that will be similar for you. And people there are very respectful. I've seen them come through with, you know, very, very mundane requests and they took it as seriously. How much more something as serious as this? So I'm going to do that for you. But you know, on the other hand, we'll be Hi. releasing this episode and, you know, bringing it out. So whenever it's out, I'll also share with you and I'll also follow up with you. I promise to follow up with you. But this is not the end of our conversation. Whatever way I can help you, um, maybe if you found your people and you want to express more stuff and you want to come back on the show to explore more stories, always consider this your second home. No pun intended. Because your your family right now and, and Nigeria is so big. We, was, we are, you know, very multicultural. And I'm Yoruba. You're also half Yoruba by measure of being in your SO group. But I want to give that honor of naming you to your SO or Mende people. It's way more meaningful. And the names, because we look at the situation before naming a child. We don't just name children, you know, um, out of our but we look at the situation. And I think that would be way more beautiful and way more meaningful than I would be able to do it. So. Oh, thank you so much. Of course, of <laughs> course, of course. Are there any final um, thoughts you'd like to talk about and, um, before we go?
I just want to say again, thank you, oh. Mo, and thank you, Chulo, and uh, and I'm just so grateful. I, I I didn't know how it was going to connect. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I, all I knew was I just wanted to, mm. and I'm just so grateful that Chulu was so generous and that you were so willing to talk to me today. I, I, I'm the one that feels so, I feel elated. I feel like I'm on the right track. I feel like I've connected with family and uh, I'm just so grateful. So just as Moa said, don't, don't feel, if you feel isolated and you feel alone, just start reaching out. Don't try to do it all on your own. Tell somebody how you feel mm. because it might very well be like me. I really have to agree. I think maybe it was my heart longing for home, longing for my ancestry, longing to connect with where I came from. But as a child, I didn't have What's the words and the understanding. Yeah. Now that I'm here, I'm doing it and I'm 63 doing it. So just know it's not too late. late. Yeah, yeah. It's not too late. Yeah. So that's what I want to say. It's not too mm. late. And you are more than enough, regardless of what anybody says about you, what you've been through, what you have or you don't have. Just know none of that determines who you mm. are. You were Born enough, you are enough, and you always will be enough. Wow. That's what I want. Wow. Wow. Man, that point of not being able to articulate it. So I've lived here for the past 12 years. And every time I go back home, Nigeria visiting, it's it's always different. Because I'm not quite Nigerian anymore. And that's okay. Because by virtue of living abroad for a while, you lose some things. But even every day I live here, there's this pocket of sadness that I carry at the back of my mind not like sad it's sadness but it's not sad sad it's just the reality of being cut away from my family right and when certain events happen because we had a death in my family um last year that kind of jolted that sadness almost like it brought it to my fore like my goodness I'm 3,000 miles plus more away from my you know family and somebody just died we can't quickly go and even grieving was grieving was an isolated process because you had to rely on technology and that comes with over emoting and trying to like, you know, connect deeper. But if you're grieving, you don't want to, there's so much you don't want to say. You just want to be in a space of just, you know, grieving without having to mind and compensate. And I liken that sadness on a bigger scale to people that are yet to connect home. Right. I don't know my home, but home yeah. is too far from me. And I feel uneasy most days because my family isn't always here around me. I mean, I do have my husband here, but my my village, my people are back home. And and I'm able to navigate that, knowing that someday I'll be reunited with them, maybe for two weeks or before I come back here again. But imagine how much that is almost like exponentially greater for those that are yet to even make a connection. And that makes me feel sad. So again, not to sound like we're trying to um, overflow the issue, but please make that move. Do your ancestry, find ways to connect to your people, and let's start that conversation going. We can help you on the show, or we can even refer you to resources, but don't do it alone. You can do this, and it's never, ever too late. Thank you, Miss Suzette, for your time on the show, and I will be in touch with you. I will send you those resources as promised, and once the episode comes out, I will share with you. You can, you know, send it to your people, but I would like to hear updates. As a matter of fact, I'm going to find you 
on Instagram. What's your name on Instagram? How about that? Oh, before you go, how can people reach uh, you, by the way? Yes, they can reach me on, on Instagram uh, at your coach Suzette. Your coach Suzette. Uh, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, again, your coach Suzette. Or you can, I've got a two two different Facebook pages okay. that they can get. One is my personal page okay. and the other is my coaching page. And that uh, at your coach Suzette is my coaching page. Um, and they can uh, email me. Okay. It's a pretty long email. So I think the best thing is to connect with me through social media. Yeah. And, and I'll, put, I'll put the email, the one you have on there. I'll put that on the show notes as well. They can see it. But I just followed you on Instagram. Oh, Please, let's keep in touch. i like to see your updates. If you've got pictures, my goal is that you visit your people in Syria alone or in Nigeria. And, you know, you have that coming home party. It will be so good to see. It's so, so good to see. I know. I'm hoping for that. It will happen. I am hoping. It will happen. I believe so strongly for you. It will happen. Anyways, thank you so much for coming on the show. On behalf of every one of us, thank you so much for doing this quickly and responding to the call. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chulu, for making this happen. Thank you to everyone who's listened. Remember, we're still looking for our people, so reach out to me. My email address is talktomo at mosable.com, or you can post a comment on the Instagram page for this particular episode. In any event, we'll catch you guys on another episode of the Mosable Podcast. I remain your host, Mosable. Bye for now. Thank you so much, Mrs. I really appreciate your time. Ah, oh, that was Thank so you. Cool.